<laughs> all right. Uh, Max Rose, Noel Nickpour, Larry Sharp. Thank you all. Appreciate Thanks. you coming in. Great panel. That does it for us tonight. Thanks for watching. Ashley Banfield and Banfield starts right now. I'm going to go drink a little bit of uh, tea. Hey, everybody. I'm Brian Entenin for Ashley tonight. Uh, happy Friday night. Thank you for being with us. Thank you for starting your weekend with us. We will cover the biggest crime stories like we always do over the next, uh, next hour. And I think one of the hardest things to process with these serial killer stories that we cover is that these guys live with their wives for decades. In Rex Huerman's case, he was with his wife for 27 years. 27 years. And somehow managed to allegedly have a double Life, And we've seen it happen over and over again. Imagine living 27 years with a serial killer. Can someone be so effective at killing young women, hiding their bodies, and fooling the police that they also can hide it from their longtime spouse for that long and their spouse notice absolutely nothing? That's what we're starting tonight with. Because finally, after nearly a month since Rex Huerman's arrest, we've got a full update on his estranged wife. His children, where they stand legally right now, and what they've been going through uh, these past few weeks since Huerman was charged with some of the so-called Gilgo Beach murders. The attorney for Huerman's wife spoke to reporters today. News Nation was, of course, there, and we have got the full details. And do not forget, the victims of the Long Island serial killer, too, have a voice. We've talked a lot about Huerman and his family, but let's not forget about these victims. Their lives taken violently from them. An attorney representing the families of some of those young women uh, will join me live right here in a minute. And by the way, he is not so sympathetic to the Huerman family. He has his own ideas about the public face that that family is putting on. He's been very, very vocal about it. Now, I'm going to let him explain that, why he feels that way. Uh, that is coming up later. Also, a major development in the hunt for a killer, potential witnesses to Rachel Morin's killing. Until now, investigators have had no leads and zero suspects in the murder, but that could be about to change. There is a group of people out there uh, that may have actually witnessed the crime, may have even seen the killer, and police now say they want to talk to them. We'll have the details for you uh, tonight on that and, and all of the, uh, the new updates in that case. We've been following that one very, very closely. Also, a legal discussion tonight that you will not believe. A woman sentenced to life in prison for beating her roommate with a hammer, stabbing her 19 times. Well, guess what happened? She had her conviction tossed out, thrown away like it never even happened. And the reason is the autopsy photos they say, were just too gruesome for the jury. Now, if you're confused, we were all confused when we found out about this, and we've got a legal expert here to help us understand it all. How can they just throw away a conviction like that? How does it happen based on autopsy photos that are just too graphic? Uh, we're going to try to get to the bottom of it. Um, but let's start uh, right now with what we learned today from the longtime wife of serial killer Rex Huerman. Asa Ellerup is her name. Their relationship and her knowledge, if any, of her husband's alleged involvement in these serial murders has been a big part of the unanswered questions since Hearman's arrest 
last month. Today, her attorney called reporters uh, for a news conference, which is also interesting. Another news conference from the family. Uh, Heuerman's wife and two kids were not there, but the attorneys for both the wife and the kids, they've got separate attorneys. They were both there for this press conference, and the purpose, they say, was to give an update on Heuerman's wife's health, their home, and whether or not they have visited uh, the accused serial killer in jail. Take a listen to part of this press conference. At this time, Asa has authorized me to relay to everybody that for the past several years, she's been suffering from cancer. She has breast cancer. She also has skin cancer. She's presently under a course of treatment that's going to continue for the next 12 to 18 months. Now, why I bring that up is because her health insurance is due to expire in the next 60 days. The source of her health insurance was from her husband's employer. He was the employee. So when the funds run out in his business accounts, the health insurance will no longer be available for her to treat the cancer that's going to be going, the treatment she needs for the next 18 months. Again, Asa would like me to express her thanks for the support she's received. Um, she's going through a very difficult time um, emotionally. She's recovering each day, not only dealing with the cancer, but this new found life that she has to come to terms with to protect herself and her children. The only thing his family knows about these charges is what's been reported in the media. They have not discussed it with him. They haven't addressed it with him. And that's our instructions to them now. We haven't had that this conversation. Frankly, it doesn't matter. I need to get Asa back to being mentally healthy to protect herself and her own children. She has to prepare this for at least the next couple of years before this case is litigated in the courts. She has not visited him in the jail. Let me reiterate. Asa or the children are not suspects in this. I think the DA's office and the law enforcement has made that clear. They've stated on several occasions they were out of the jurisdiction when these alleged crimes took place. So she, she is not a suspect. She's not been questioned. She's not been accused of anything, of being an accomplice or any part associated with whatever her husband's accused of. Things that have reported in the media, a, a soundproof roof. Everybody reported that. That is not true. So everybody ran with that story that he had this sex dungeon downstairs in his house with a soundproof room where he was bringing prostitutes and murdering them and then burying them on Gilgo Beach. There is no soundproof room in that house. So we cannot believe everything that's been reported in the media. We've told her that and instructed her that. So you mean get, the media is being lied get, to get by herself, the office? Get herself mentally healthy and then she could, she could be there for her children who are suffering through this. Okay, so there was a lot going on with this press conference. Some of the highlights, very, very sad, is that we learned that Heuerman's wife is suffering from cancer, uh, and her health insurance was provided by Rex Heuerman's business. She only knows about the murder charges, they say, based on what has been reported openly in the media. Neither she nor the two children have visited Heuerman in jail since his arrest July 13th. Nearly she nor her children are considered suspects. Uh, and the report of a soundproof room, you remember that report early on, the lawyers say that that was just way overblown, that it was not actually a soundproof uh, sort of sex dungeon, I think is the way they described it uh, in the basement. That is from the attorney of Rex Heuerman's wife. Uh, and uh, we'll see what more we learn. I mean, they, they released a lot of new stuff today. They seem open to talk to the to the media. They called the press conference. I mean, this isn't like media banging on their door looking for information. In a sense, it seems like the family's now trying to, to get ahead of things. Uh, I want to bring in News Nation's Sloan Glass. She has been all over this story. She was at the press conference today. Sloan, I found the press conference interesting. I also found it interesting that not only did the lawyers talk, but right afterwards, we all got an email in our inbox. They released photos from inside Heuerman's house. 
Talk to us about these photos. Yeah, Brian, these are never before seen photos of the inside of the Hurman's house. And you talked about how unusual it is to hear from the family. I think for them to be so open is very surprising to everyone and to share these photos that show what they call the mess that investigators left after searching through the home for 12 days. You can see clutter. And we know that the police have said that the home was really cluttered before they entered. And these photos show boxes up to the ceiling. Um, I have to say, presumably investigators weren't bringing in items to the house, right? We saw them taking out evidence. So it's hard to know what we're supposed to learn from these photos. We don't know what the house looked like before they entered, but uh, look, uh, Asa Asa's team, her legal team, saying today that they filed a claim, and we have to assume that that is to help prepare them if they decide to go the legal route and uh, really push forward and try to get back money from any losses. I hope that they do. They've already lost so much uh, through Rex Hurman's um, arrest, but it, it's hard to make sense exactly of what we're supposed to learn from these photos. Yeah, it's interesting. You obviously have to feel for his family. I mean, the police have said that they don't believe they had any involvement. We've seen the wife and her suffering. We've seen the kids. It's very, very sad. Um, interesting, though, that they're already planning, it seems like, to sue the DA and the police department, possibly. Um, that was an interesting development today. And then the photos. There was one photo that really stood out to me. There was a there was the photo of all the clutter and, and kind of what happened with the house. But then they had this random photo of like a Christmas tree. Yes. So this photo of the Christmas tree was provided by Asa to show what the house had looked like before. This is their living room. But two things of note. One, this photo is very old. It's from 2011. And that is also the year that Gilgo remains were found. So I'm not sure why this photo was chosen. Now, Asa's attorney did tell me that she will provide more current photos of the inside of the house. She had said that they were left without a mattress, that they don't have running water, that pipes were taken. But the photos that we were provided today, they do show the pipes being gone from the bathroom, and they show lots and lots of boxes. Interesting, yeah. The, 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 uh, the giving out the photo of the 2011 Christmas tree, I was also trying to sort of read what the play was there. It does make sense, though, what you're saying, that that's around the same time the bodies were found. I guess they were trying to show, look, you know, back at home, everything seemed normal uh, to us. I know you had a right. chance to speak one-on-one -on -one with one of the lawyers after the, the press conference. Uh, how did that go? What did he have to say? You know, you uh, pointed out that they've been very forthcoming with information. And I was asking about this GoFundMe. A GoFundMe has been started to help with Asa's medical funds. We learned today that she's been suffering from cancer for several years. And that because she was under her husband's health insurance, that is going to expire soon. But, Brian, that GoFundMe was started by the daughter of the Happy Face serial killer. So I, I had to know how the two of them were connected. I find you really empathetic that a family who has also been connected to a serial killer would reach out and that they have this community forming around her and her family's losses. So I just wanted to know how the two of them even linked up. She had reached out to me and then asked for permission to come meet Asa, which she came in, flew in last Sunday and spent a good part of the day at the house with her and Asa. You know, her, they have a unique bond that hopefully none of us ever will have. Her dad was arrested. Uh, I should say that Melissa Moore's dad was arrested 
when she was 16 years old and they came on to be known as the Happy Face Killer. Um, so it's a situation where her life was turned upside down the way Oscar and her children were turned upside down. So they bonded on that. It's definitely a unique connection. It's not one that many people on the planet can relate to. And I'm glad that they have this community. I also asked him, why are they back in the Massapequa home? Is there not family? Are there not friends that they can stay with? I can't imagine that's very comforting to be back at home that they've called unlivable and where your husband has been accused of carrying out these horrendous crimes. Yeah, no, that, that's a really, really good question, Sloan. And a lot of people have brought up the point of, oh, well, they owned property in other states. Why does she need to go fund me? But, I mean, it's going to take time to f- figure all that out, to sell property. And for all we know, you know, Rex Hurman may have been in charge of the finances. Maybe she doesn't have cash available to her right now. They're certainly in, in what seems to be a sad situation. Real quick, Sloan, did they say why today they had this press conference? I was trying to understand, like, the timing of it. Like, why did they choose this Friday to have this presser release these photos? Do you think there's something behind it? I was thinking the same thing, right? And also, why now? Why is now the appropriate time to come forward and talk about your home and the condition that it was left in? I mean, this is a case with multiple murders and families who are waiting over a decade for some sort of resolution. Uh, The answer that I got was the timing, that they needed to file this claim within 90 days, and they Mm. wanted to announce to the public that they were. Makes sense. Yeah, that that makes sense, the hook of them uh, wanting to file the lawsuit. Sloan Glass, thank you, as always. Uh, You've done such a great job covering this. Uh, Thanks for being on tonight. I want to bring in now John Ray. Uh, He is an attorney who represents the families of Gilgo Beach victims, Jessica Taylor and uh, Shannon Gilbert. Uh, John, thank you also for joining us uh, again tonight. We always appreciate your perspective. What did you make of the presser? I mean, I know you you were there. You you spoke afterwards after their lawyer sort of left. What what did you make of the whole thing? Well, what I make of it is very simple, and that is that um, this lady... uh, is is conning everybody and she's been doing that for years she's managed to for example uh, go on food stamps when she her husband made the kind of money she he, he made they own numerous properties all over they in several states uh these are not poor people and they've managed to raise 40 at the last count today forty four thousand dollars in the gofundme and they're not victims uh, th- 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 this is all a big put on. And it, what makes it worse is that it is overwhelmingly likely that this woman, uh, Miss Ellerup, and her, uh, the other adult, certainly Miss Ellerup, knew very well what was going on in that house with uh, Mr. Hewerman downstairs in the basement with uh, sex workers. And he had no sex workers. How can you say that, though? I mean, John, John that's a really big allegation to make. I mean, the police have said that that they didn't know anything. And we've seen in other cases with serial killers that the families don't know anything. These guys are sickos and masterminds and psychotic and they can compartmentalize. I mean, how can you how can you go on national TV and say that you know that they knew something? I can say that for several reasons. First of all, uh, she she lived in that little tiny house and there's and, and according to her own lawyers, they, there's no a soundproof room downstairs. It would be virtually impossible in this day and age where they together for 27 years in that little tiny house that she had no knowledge with cell phones and 
and the internet. She had no knowledge whatsoever of what he was up to all those years downstairs. That's the first problem we have with this. The second problem is the way she's behaved is completely antithetical to what a person would do under similar circumstances if they were not involved. You know, she, she, not one of those people, her, her, her and, or her children have, a, have said anything by way of sympathy for any of the victims of, of, of the serial killer, no matter what. They've just completely ignored that. They sit on the front porch, they laugh, they give the, the European uh, middle finger uh, to, to the press. Well, listen, they, I mean, all the pictures I've seen, I've seen them looking very sad outside. And, and maybe they're just, I mean, could they still just be in denial and shock and hoping that it's, that it's not true? And well, then the thing you said about her not knowing if, if he had escorts over there. I mean, people just have weird marriages. Maybe she just, maybe they had some kind of weird arrangement where he was allowed to have the escorts downstairs, having sex with the escorts downstairs. But that doesn't mean that she knew that he was a killer. That, that, that doesn't mean she didn't. And she should be a suspect. When two of her hairs are found on the tape wrapping up two of the victims, it, she's at least a suspect. But there's also another factor, which I, you know, had the, the good fortune to come across, and that is a witness. And there is a witness who is mm. very credible. I, I know I'm, I pull rank by saying that because I'm, you know, 41 years in the business and I've done many, many, many cross-examinations and 33 different homicides I've been involved in in one way or another. So, you know, I, I bring that to the table. I've, I've examined this witness for hours and she is credible, and in detail, she is credible. And uh, she, she she's not coming forward with her name at this point, and I'm going to respect that. So, That's my yeah, job. What, who, what is the witness? But, what did the witness tell you, though? Like, what, tell us about this witness. Unquestionably, what, what I hear unquestionably is that Rex Uriman was bringing uh, sex workers frequently into his home over the years, spent a small fortune on him, and that the wife was clearly very aware of this and even indicated it actively at some points. So I have that plus all these inferences uh, that that you can draw from the way this woman has behaved in this whole thing. And when you put the two together, it's pretty hard to deny that she should be a suspect. Perhaps the police did not consider her a suspect initially because she seemed to have alibis for when three of those women disappeared. But those alibis are fungible like anything else. And uh, if she was away in Iceland on a trip and so on, do we know when these girls were actually killed, the day they were killed? Do we know how long they were kept before they were buried? Do we know whether they were still alive and then were killed later on? You don't know any of those things. So you really need to be suspicious. And that's what I'm saying is you need no, to be I, suspicious. I, look, I, I understand point. what you're saying, being suspicious and keeping an open mind. And, and I'm sure hopefully the police are with everything involved in this case. It just seems like we don't really have the evidence right now to, to call out the family like that. I mean, you know, if, if they well, really know nothing I like do. the police say. Well, I have that. Well, I guess we'll, we'll see. I mean, you. but you're not giving the witness name yet. I mean, I guess, I guess we'll, we'll wait not. and see. But again, I just well, I, I feel uncomfortable. I, it makes me uncomfortable at this point. I, I mean, I can't help but feel for the family at this stage. Feel for the family? They're not the victims. What are you talking about? How absurd is this? They, they're the victims of this killer? They, they go in and they complain no, look, about that. Well, let me finish. They complain. I, I feel bad that, for that the victims, too, obviously, in their family. Up. And I'm not saying that they're the only victims. No, no, I hear what you're saying. I hear. I want to I do want to ask you, though, obviously, about the, 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 the family members that you're in touch with of the victims. How are they doing? 
are they getting any more information in terms of are they going to be able to connect Huerman to some of these other cases? Have you gotten anything new on that front, John? We're working on that, and I know the police are working diligently on that. We have a lot of faith now that after the police have done their job correctly on uh, the new uh, task force. So we're waiting to see where that all leads us. But in the meantime, here we sit with these, you know, they, these people are complaining that their toys are broken and that, that the kid's machine that he plays with or she, she got busted up. There are other people who got busted up and chopped up into pieces. And those are the victims. Those are yeah. the real victims and their families. And those are the ones that got wrapped up and dumped somewhere. So the complaining that the police wrapped up their belongings when for 27 years they this man was in their bosom and they didn't notice what he was doing. Give me a break and give the public a break. Yeah. And don't contribute to I this. I think it's a fair point. Uh, uh, thing that they're trying to do. And by the way, talk about assets and that she has. Do you really know that she really is sick like she claims? That's what her lawyer said. Where's the evidence of that? I'd like I mean, to see look, it. I love, she look, look, look. I'm not, I mean, if they're saying she has, she has cancer, I, I'm not going to, you know, yeah. I, I, I hope that they wouldn't make all that up, John, honestly. I, mean, I hope they um, wouldn't either. But look, do you think I, I, do, I do hear your point, though. I do hear your point about we have to remember the people who were killed, the women and their families. And there's been a lot of focus on Rex Hurman's family and this press conference today. Some of that did feel a little strange, and I'm glad that we have the pictures up again of of the victims, and, and I can only imagine what, what their families are going through right now. Um, but yeah, I guess we'll just have to see how everything people, else plays out. Why did these people come forward at all and call, hold a press conference with two lawyers that they've managed to, to find and, 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 and uh, do this today? Why? What is, what is the need for that? Money. They're looking for yeah, your I money. I don't know. I mean, I can't get in their brain. I, was, I haven't seen really that happen in the past. I did find it unusual perhaps to try to get ahead of the narrative and, and protect yeah. their um, reputations. I don't know. I mean, like, I, I don't know why. Right. Well, that, maybe we should ask that question, right? Rhetorically, if nothing else, because there's no good reason for any of this. These people are acting just like people who have no conscience whatsoever. Their heart, hearts are hardened completely. By the way, you're just smiling. Well, on yeah, TV. I, I don't. I mean, oh, I just. I, I, I'm sorry, John. I, I, I can't agree with that. Their hearts are hard, and I just. I don't think we know them. I. I you know, I, I. I feel for them. You know, based on what the police have told us so far. But I also appreciate your perspective, and um, we 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 appreciate you coming on, and we'll see how all of this huh. plays out. Um, John Ray, thank you for coming on on a Friday thank night, you. and we'll talk to you soon. Thanks. Okay. Okay. We have to take a quick break, uh, but don't go anywhere because investigators in Maryland might have their first real lead in the murder of Rachel Morin. The sheriff's department is looking for a group of people who may have seen something, even the killer, and may not have actually realized it. We've got the new details coming up next. This break is brought to you by Adobe Photoshop. Here's a fun fact. Every day, millions of people around the world use Photoshop to create all kinds of cool stuff. Designs for t-shirts and posters, graphics to promote brands and businesses, images for social and websites. Anyone can do it. And to the guy who put a bulldog's head on a parakeet's body, you, sir, are a genius. Get started for free today. Click or tap the banner to head over to Photoshop.com. 
Together. Juntos. Together. We stand up to cancer. On Saturday, August 19th, join Stand Up to Cancer for all the inspiration. Together, we can stand up for our family and friends and everyone who is battling this disease. Celebrating all the progress and innovation. So just stand up with us. One night to save lives. Join the millions in the fight against cancer. Tune in Saturday, August 19th at 8, 7 central on ABC, CBS, Fox, and NBC. For more ways to watch, visit StandUpToCancer.org. What if one day you went to your secret hiding place, and instead of what you came for, you found a phone number? 1-800-662-HELP. What would you do? Would you stop and give it some thought? Before drugs take their toll on you and your family, know that there is help. You can quit. For help with drug use, call 1-800-662-HELP for free and confidential information and treatment referral, or go to samhsa.gov slash know the risks. Farming is dangerous. There's dangers all around us. We go through safety training and try and do these things to make sure accidents don't happen. You don't want to hit a gas pipe because that's your life. The other part of it is if you hit certain things, you're liable for it. Farm Safe 811 starts with you. Always call 811 and wait for any underground lines to be marked. Always keep safety in the back of your mind. Just stay humble. For more information, go to farmsafe811.org. Thank you for listening to News Nation, America's source for engaging and unbiased news. Ew, gotta get rid of this old Backstreet Boys t shirt. Tell me why. I've washed it so many times, but the odor won't come out. Have you tried Downy Rinse and Refresh? It doesn't just cover up odors, it helps remove them. Downy Rinse and Refresh removes more odor in one wash than the leading value detergent in three washes. Find it wherever you buy laundry products. This back to school season, Downy and Tide are giving back with $1.5 million in scholarships. Enter to win. No purchase necessary. US and DC, 16 or older, and September 30th. Rules at downy.com slash scholarship slash official rules. Are you the creative type? And you already know lots of cool things Photoshop can do, like create eye-popping images for social and gorgeous graphics for T-shirts and posters. But did you also know it can instantly turn a gray sky into a fiery sunset, change black and white to color in a click, or make anything in your photo magically disappear? Maybe you're wondering, can anyone use Photoshop to take images from ordinary to amazing? Nope, everyone can. Visit Photoshop.com and get started for free. I was crossing the street when I met the love of my life. I chased after her. Nothing would stand in my way. Not the dog walker, nor the hot dog vendor. Finally reaching her, I asked, what do you call that amazing smell? Um, it's Gain Flings. Gain Flings. My love had a name. But more importantly, it had a scent. Fall in love with Gain Flings. Seriously good scent. Gain Flings with 50% more freshness ingredients versus leading bargain detergent. Serving in Afghanistan, I was shot in the head by sniper fire. I was given a 5% chance to live. I'm Adam Alexander, and I'm a veteran. Today, I visit classrooms and share my story. I tell kids that with a little help and a lot of work, that you can overcome any challenge. DAV helps veterans like Adam get the benefits they've earned. They help more than a million veterans every year. My victory is being there for the next generation. Support more victories for veterans. Go to DAV.org. Welcome back. Five days after Rachel Morin was brutally murdered on a Maryland hiking trail and her body was left at a drainage tunnel, investigators may have a glimmer of hope. 
The Harford County Sheriff's Department is hoping to speak to a group of people who were on the same trail that night uh, when Morin was killed. And according to investigators, the people had dogs with them on the trail on Saturday night and may have seen something that could actually help with this investigation. Uh, the group has been described as either three men, two women, and two dogs, or two men, three women, and two dogs. And according to the sheriff, on Saturday, between 6 and 7.30 at night, the group was walking on the MA and PA trail from the Route 24 tunnel toward the split in the trail that leads to the William Street trailhead. The sheriff is not saying how they know the individuals were there that night, but uh, this week they have been asking for videos and also photos taken on the trail on Saturday, trying to piece this together. Uh, investigators have received more than 200 tips so far. Morin was last seen heading to uh, the MA and PA trail in Bel Air, Maryland on August 5th around 6 p.m. Her boyfriend reported her missing that night. Her body was found uh, the next day. And this is really the most significant development in the case since the murder. I'm joined by Gigi McKelvey now. She's the host of the pop podcast, uh, Pretty Lies and Alibis. It's always good to have Gigi on and to see you on a Friday night, Gigi. First of all, what do you make of this newest development? I mean, this seems pretty significant that they're now looking for, for these folks who may have seen something. Well, CBS Baltimore actually said that the Hartford County Sheriff's Office said in an update tonight that it has identified and contacted five people who were walking with their dogs between 6 and 7.30. So maybe they have found these potential witnesses. Oh, that's good. That's a good that's a good update. Uh, Rachel's car was found at the William Street entrance of the trail. That's where she entered at 6 o'clock, they believe. The group was walking towards the entrance. I guess, in a sense, they, they could have walked right past her. They may, this group may have actually noticed something really significant. Yeah, I mean, anything's possible in this case. It's like the details are so scattered and nothing seems really certain at this point. But they did pinpoint this group of people. And so now maybe they do have some answers of whether or not they actually saw her on the trail before she was murdered. That would be a big development if they, if they did, in fact, see her and where. So the sheriff's department has questioned Rachel's boyfriend. His name is Richard Tobin. There are reports that they took his DNA and also his phone. What do we know about the boyfriend? Are they suspicious of the boyfriend? Do we know? Uh, what, what are the details on that? Yeah, he's given his DNA and his phone. And, I, you know, to me, it seems like maybe not so suspicious. I believe he was with her kids at that point. Um, and and there was some speculation that maybe he was at a meeting, uh, a recovery meeting at the time of the murders. So, I, you know, it seems to me like maybe they're not focusing on him right now. I mean, right now at this point, Brian, it could be anybody. It could be a creeper at the gym who's watched her. It could be somebody who frequents that trail mm. that watches her patterns. I mean, there's just so many options at this point. Do we know, are there any other exes that we know of, Gigi? I believe there are a few exes uh, from the past that I'm sure they're looking into at this point. Anybody, I'm sure her phone is going to be a, a big source of information. Who did she last contact mm. before she went to the trail? Um, location pings. Did she go somewhere before? That kind of thing. And also what's interesting is this trailhead backs up right to an apartment complex. It's literally in the parking lot of an apartment complex. I looked on Google Maps and zoomed in. I can't tell if there are lights or surveillance cameras I'm interested to see what kind of surveillance they have. Did they see her get out of her car and start down on the trail? I think law enforcement knows way more than what they're telling us. And what's very interesting to me, Brian, is the fact that they very quickly opened this trail back up with the possibility that this was a random attack. 
So that kind of tells me maybe. Yeah, that is interesting. They, they know way more than what they're telling us. And maybe they, they have a somebody in mind because I can't imagine with this brutal of a murder that you would open that trail so quickly. Again, even with increased presence of law enforcement, you're putting a lot of people at risk potentially by opening that trail if, if you think this person is still at large. Yeah, and you mentioned looking at the Google Map images. When we when we were talking about the trail, it's not like it goes through a forest or a mountainy area. I mean, it's almost more of like a wreck area. Looks like there's like some ball courts out there. It's almost like a boardwalk. There are some wooded areas, but there's also areas that are wide open. You mentioned the um, the apartment complex nearby. I'm curious, Gigi, though, this, since we have you tonight, and I, I didn't tell you I was going to ask you about this, but I'm always curious what you think. I probably would have texted you about this afterwards anyway, so I might as well just ask you while you're on the show. What did you make of this situation with, um, with uh, John Ray, um, the attorney for some of the Gilgo Beach uh, victims? He's now, like, in a really strong way calling out Rex Huerman's family members. We don't really have evidence yet. I mean, what do you make of all of this? Yeah, look, I mean, police have made very clear up to this point that the family is um, is not suspected to be involved in any way. And, and it's very easy to, to see how if these women were, in fact, killed in the house or items were brought outside of the house, how her de- her hair strands could have been found in these bodies. I think it's a pretty bold claim to say that that maybe she knew or they had some kind of a weird arrangement. I don't know. It just doesn't seem like that's what law enforcement's been communicating to the public. It seems more opinionated than anything, but I'm not an attorney. So, uh, but yeah, I thought. I, yeah, I it just seems like you'd want to have the evidence. Yeah, you'd want to see the evidence before. I mean, I, I mean, again, if what the police are saying is true, that's quite an accusation to make against this family that that from what we know is really um suffering right now again not not to diminish what the victims families are going through too oh no of course but right and the other thing to point out too is that i had read that right now all of their finances are tied up they don't have access to their cash for food or anything like that so the gofundme makes sense and look i just think that um she has a lot on her plate especially having an adult son who has developmental delays who is probably having a very hard time processing this her health struggles uh, the condition of her house and and most of all, finding out that your husband allegedly is a serial killer. So I think definitely if there yeah. was suspicion on um, Asa that we would have known by now. Yeah, there's a lot. There's a lot going on there. Gigi, it's always good to see you. Um, have a good night and thanks for coming on. Thanks, Brian. Okay, still to come tonight, easily the strangest court decision of the day. A woman who was convicted of beating a roommate with a hammer and stabbing her 19 times has had her conviction overturned. Could it really be because her crime was just too gruesome? We'll discuss it coming up next. Introducing Bluehost Cloud ultra-fast WordPress hosting with 100% uptime. Want a website with unmatched power, speed, and control? Of course you do. And now you can have all three with Bluehost Cloud, the new web hosting plan from Bluehost. With 100% uptime and incredibly speedy load times, your WordPress websites will be dependable and lightning fast on a global scale. Plus, your sites can handle even the biggest traffic spikes without going down or lagging. And with Bluehost Cloud, you get 24-7 WordPress priority support, 
meaning you're connected to WordPress experts anytime you need them. Not to mention, you automatically get daily backups and world-class security. So, what are you waiting for? Get Bluehost Cloud today by visiting bluehost.com. That's bluehost.com. A woman sentenced to life in prison for murdering her roommate has had her conviction overturned because the prosecutors showed autopsy photos to the jury. In 2019, Carmi Nelson was convicted of murdering her roommate Jordan Lum in South Carolina. According to the prosecutor, she struck Lum in the head with a hammer and then stabbed her with a knife at least 19 times. Lum had more than 100 injuries. During the trial, prosecutors showed the jury the autopsy photos so the jury could see the wounds. Uh, and it's something prosecutors almost always do during a trial. I've seen it. They helps the jury understand and convict. It's never easy, but it happens a lot. Uh, but this time, it was the thing that got Nelson's murder conviction tossed. Yesterday, the South Carolina State Supreme Court ruled that the autopsy photos were too gruesome to show the jury. The ruling reads, in part, the admission of these excessively gruesome autopsy photos unnecessarily created the potential for the jury to convict Carmi of the murder based on inflamed emotions in a case where the jury was provided with undisputed evidence as to how victim died. We believe the medical examiner's testimony as to the victim's injuries could have properly established how victim was killed and that victim was killed with malice, negating the evidentiary value to be gained from the autopsy photos. Basically saying that just hearing about the injuries would have been enough and that the jury did not need to see uh, those photos. Let's bring in Dave Ehrenberg. He is the state attorney uh, in Palm Beach County, has tried a lot of uh, cases just like this one. Dave, I'm very, very curious. What do you make of this? I mean, I've never heard of such a thing. I thought that 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 juries got to see the autopsy photos no matter how gruesome. Good to be with you, Brian. Normally they can and do see these photos, but it's got to go to a part of the evidence to prove guilt in the case. Does it show that she committed the crime? Does it show malice? Those are crucial elements here. Well, you don't need these photos to show who committed the crime or that it was done with malice because you've got a testimony that said that the victim was stabbed 113 times. That shows malice. You've got two different weapons involved. There was a hammer and then a knife. And the uh, the defendant used the knife to slit the victim's throat. Um, you also have text messages from the defendant that showed malice. And you have her admissions that were recorded by her husband. So the court is saying that in this case, you had enough evidence to show who committed the crime and that malice existed so you can convict her of murder. And if you show those photos, it has a prejudicial effect where it can inflame the jury so much that it deprives the defendant of a fair trial. So they don't always show the autopsy photos? I mean, I feel like in, in the courtrooms in Palm Beach County, when I've covered a trials, I feel like you always see the autopsy photos. If it is used to prove an element of a crime. Like, for example, if you didn't have all the other stuff there um, and you had to show, well, uh, there, there was malice because look at all the blood. That shows someone who's really depraved. Uh, but mm. here, the only question for the jury was who committed the crime and was there malice? Well, it was overwhelming evidence who committed the crime. It was the defendant. And then the question is, was there malice? And they had all this other evidence. And, you know, the court here said, well, you've got all this other overwhelming evidence of malice. What added benefit do those photos show other than inflaming the jury? And, you know, Brian, as a prosecutor, I know you may be surprised that I'm sort of agreeing with the court here because as a prosecutor, you have to be really careful. You're not going to overplay your hand. 
because if you introduce those photos, mm. yes, it makes it more likely that the jury's going to be upset and they're going to vote guilty. On the other hand, it makes it more likely that an appellate court is going to step in and overturn the conviction. So you have to be really careful before you do this. Interesting. We only have 30 seconds left, Dave, but what happens now in a case like this? I mean, does this lady just, is it like a get out of jail free card or does something else happen? No, she's going to stay in jail pending another trial and the trial will happen and she will be found guilty. The evidence here is overwhelming. The only thing is that the prosecutors are not going to be able to use those photos against her. But as the court said, you don't need it. You got so much against this person. Her goose is cooked. She'll spend the rest of her life behind bars. Interesting. Well, Dave, thanks for coming on tonight, explaining it to us. Uh, We appreciate you as always. Thanks, Brian. Okay, still to come tonight, he is headed to prison for gun theft and he served time already for shooting a drug dealer. But Adam Montgomery swears he never laid a hand on his five-year-old daughter, Harmony, who hasn't been seen since 2019 and who allegedly suffered a horrific death. It is such an awful, awful story, that poor little girl. We've got a big update coming up next. Anytime that someone disappears and is not reported missing for two years, the odds of a happy ending are pretty low. And so it was with little Harmony Montgomery, whose miserable life came to a horrible end at age five, allegedly at the hands of her own father. Well, this week, Adam Montgomery uh, was sentenced to more than 30 years in prison for stealing and selling guns. And though that case was completely unrelated from Harmony, Adam brought her up anyway. Standing before the judge, he said, and I quote, I did not kill my daughter, Harmony, and I look forward to my upcoming trial to refute those offensive claims. Adam Montgomery's murder trial is set to begin in November, and he is right about one thing, that the claims are offensive, to say the absolute least. It is such a tragic, terrible story, uh, and Ashley has the latest. For three months straight, Adam and Kayla Montgomery went nowhere without their curious big red duffel bag. It traveled with them all over Manchester, New Hampshire. Adam stashed it in the trunk of a friend's car, a bedroom closet, a cooler in an apartment building, even a restaurant freezer. And when the drug-addicted couple moved into a homeless shelter with their two kids in late December of 2019, the big red duffel bag came with them too. This time, they stuffed it into a ceiling vent above their bedroom. But they soon had to move it again because their neighbors complained that something smelled. Inside that duffel bag was the decomposing body of five-year-old Harmony Montgomery, Adam's daughter and Kayla's stepdaughter. Just a few weeks earlier, on the morning of December 7th, 2019, Harmony had had an accident in the back seat of the car that the homeless family was living in. And as Adam pulled into a Burger King parking lot, he flew into a rage. According to police, for the crime of that five-year-old having an accident, he pummeled Harmony in the face and head using his closed fist. After several minutes, Harmony made a loud noise and Adam allegedly told his wife, I think I really hurt her this time. I think I did something. Harmony lay in the car moaning for five minutes and then Harmony never made a sound again. No one called for medical help. 
Instead, Adam and Kayla allegedly held on to Harmony's body, moving it from place to place and dismembering it along the way. And the only reason investigators know any of this is because Kayla Montgomery, Harmony's stepmother, agreed to cooperate with police after striking a deal on another case. Her harrowing interviews fill 54 pages of a police affidavit. She says they also lugged Harmony's lifeless body around in a different bag, a tote bag, which Adam stored in the freezer of the restaurant where he was working. Eventually, the couple tried speeding up the decomposition process because Kayla said they could still tell that it was Harmony. She said they placed the frozen body under a shower to thaw it out and added 20 pounds of lime to the tote bag. But when that still didn't give them the results they wanted, in March of 2020, Kayla says Adam decided to dump his daughter's remains and rented a U-Haul, which was captured by surveillance cameras crossing the Tobin Bridge in Boston several times. When he'd returned a few hours later, he allegedly told Kayla, it's done. But it wasn't until November of 2021, two years after police believe Harmony Montgomery was murdered, that she was finally even reported missing. Her biological mother, who'd lost custody because of drug use, had called police saying she hadn't seen Harmony since a FaceTime call around Easter of 2019. Again, this is November of 2021. When confronted, Adam Montgomery refused to answer questions. It just seems a little strange that you don't like uh, you don't want to tell us where she is. All right, I just I got nothing else to say to you guys. Your daughter's alive? Yeah. You're sure? I'm positive. You're, you're like swear on your life. I swear on my life. The FBI searched the last known residence of Harmony, as well as the Revere Wetlands in Massachusetts. But to this day, her body has never been found. She deserves to be brought home um, and laid to rest. Police say along with Kayla's testimony, they have DNA evidence and other witness accounts to back up a range of charges against Harmony's 33-year-old father, Adam, including second-degree murder, tampering with witnesses and informants, falsifying physical evidence, and abuse of a corpse. He remains locked up awaiting trial later this year. Kayla, however, decided to plead guilty last fall to lying to a grand jury about the last time she saw Harmony alive and was sentenced to a year and a half in prison. She faces no charges directly related to Harmony's death or the aftermath. Such an awful story. And authorities are not done with Adam Montgomery. He's also awaiting trial on gun charges. And he is reportedly a person of interest in another unrelated murder. Meantime, if you have any information that could help police find Harmony, uh, there is a tip line that's been set up. The number is 603-203-6060. Again, you see the number there, 603-203-6060. Gosh, that poor... Poor little girl. Okay, we have to take a quick break, uh, but don't go anywhere. A California judge has found himself on the other side of the bench accused of killing his own wife. And the most damning piece of evidence could be the drunk text that he sent to his own clerk and his own bailiff right after the killing. The details are coming up next. Next. 
A California judge has been charged with the murder of his wife. Prosecutors announced today that Orange County Superior Court Judge Jeffrey Ferguson will stand trial for the killing of his own wife. According to court documents, Ferguson and his wife Cheryl were seen arguing at a restaurant on August 3rd. The argument continued at home, and prosecutors say Cheryl Ferguson said something to the effect of, why don't you point a real gun at me? And that is when her husband pulled a pistol from his ankle holster and shot her in the chest, police say. Their adult son called 911 and said his father had been drinking too much and shot his mom. And just minutes later, the judge reportedly sent a drunken text to his court clerk and the bailiff that read, I just lost it. I just shot my wife. I won't be in court tomorrow. I will be in custody. I'm so sorry. Gosh, such a like a oddly professional text. Ferguson is currently free on a million dollar bail, but prosecutors are seeking new bail conditions after authorities found 47 guns in his home and 26,000 rounds of ammunition. A rifle registered in his name is still missing, and he'll have another court date coming up. Man, what a story. All right. Thanks for sticking with us on Friday. Have a great weekend. Ashley's back Monday.